I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I'm pretty sure ASMR is just a kink thing because all the videos are either just like some dude fisting a big bowl of jello and going like <laughs> like jello fists jello fist ASMR or like uh you know a vaguely attractive chick like whispering things at you like Epstein <laughs> didn't kill himself. That's Bush did nine eleven. <laughs> what i really want i want like uh a track attractive ethnically ambiguous uh asmr <laughs> asmr readings <laughs> of conspiracy theories it's like the earth is flat <laughs> yeah i remember you know thinking we were gonna be having flying cars and shit but yeah i think the, the ASMR no all we got was at. a nintendo 64 <laughs> racing game truck that's yo. First, that's so, the fuck yo, we got. First of all, at, at the risk of delegitimizing my opinions for the rest of this episode, <laughs> I just want to start out by coming on the record. I mean, well, stating on the record, <laughs> oh, shit, that I like. I like Elon Musk's new fucking Cybertruck. That shit looks cool to me. That looks like, horrible. That shit looks like you just drove right out of Perfect Dark off the N64. I, should, I, I love that game. Yo, I love that game. I love Joanna Dark. She can do my. She can do my. Uh, my readings of the ASMR conspiracy theorist shit. That shit looks, that shit looks great. I like that. Cars are too smooth nowadays, like Bernie. And I, <laughs> <laughs> that shit is gross. I mean, it's it was a series of triangles. It's horrible. That's such a bad looking truck. And I know somebody, I actually know somebody who bought one, which makes it even worse. I was just going to say, it's bold of him to like bring back the. Pontiac Aztec after <laughs> such a you know had such a successful run it's really going to be hard to duplicate that kind of uh, success, success really go ahead. I'm just glad the best part of that is the fact that he lost 720 million dollars in a day which I think it's which I think is unfair he should have lost that money when he called that hero a pedophile uh out here out here saying people got Drake Domania and shit and in reality, that car was awesome. Admittedly, I'm not an engineer though, so I don't know how like a uh, a car that boxy can be described as aerodynamic. It, it's probably it's probably some shit I don't understand. It just doesn't it's look aerodynamic. It's not. It, it, looks, it looks like a Porygon. But I did, <laughs> but no, no, no. I I I honestly just want to like ride that slow through like the streets of Brooklyn, just like fucking bumping like vintage three six mafia. No, you know, no. You know, first of all, the the no. cops would the cops would be afraid. To pull you over because they wouldn't know if you were from the past or the future. I, I, I just I wouldn't rely on the bulletproof windows. That's all I'm gonna say. Right, like you're just gonna roll through Brooklyn blasting like Mystic Styles or some shit. No, there's no way that like that truck makes me that truck makes me miss the all black forces. Like I just want to strap. Like if I see something, I'm just gonna put those back on. You know, you just gotta hit a lick because if you've got that kind of money to spend on such a bad truck, you deserve to be robbed. Like that's just my opinion on that one. That truck is very affordable, both pre.
pre and post apocalypse. And honestly, <laughs> the, the windows might not be shatterproof, despite the fact that they were built that way. But you don't need it. Pigs won't know if you're gonna pull out a musket or a phaser on those motherfuckers. <laughs> they, they they're gonna be afraid. They're gonna be afraid to touch you. I'm gonna guarantee it. Fair point. But anyway, let's let's get to the main topic. Welcome to the discourse. Uh, I am your host, your boy, Chad V, and. Let's get to the main topic of the show because I've been forced as recompense for not watching the last debate after making both Richard and Adair watch it to <laughs> watch the debate that occurred. Ugh, I don't even remember when it happened. I watched it the day after it happened. It, it sucked. I, I watched it though, but it's still better than learning anything about Brexit. So I, I guess, you know, the content, the content fucking, uh, the content demanders demand content as the name implies. Uh, so who here watched the debate? I know Richard. I know Richard watched some of it. Adair didn't watch any of it, so I, I'm the lowest. I watched voice the highlights. Which there were no highlights. There were none. So you like, none yeah, there was there was a highlights video <laughs> on YouTube from like whoever the fuck held the debate this time, and it was trash. MSNBC held it, and it was trash. It, I will say, like, I think watching the highlights makes a lot more sense, and and, and now after watching the entire thing fully, like. You really get the sense when you're watching these debates that they're mostly made for people to like pull 30, 40, a minute and a half clips from. Because if you, when you actually watch it from beginning to end, like in like linear fashion, like you realize just how little connectivity there is between the people talking and like what they're saying to each other. Like so much of the debate, it's like people monologuing and not really being in conversation with one another. Or like pivoting off the question to start talking some bullshit that it makes you wonder why you even have these things. I I will admit that some part of that might be because like if you say someone's name, they get to respond to you, so that people might go about like trying their best to monologue and not say people's names. But it comes across like, well, what the fuck is the point if people aren't going to be talking to each other or about each other or you know about each other's ideas in any meaningful way? No, I'd agree with that. And my impression from the debates is also the same that like. It's made for grabbing quick clips and and spamming those, particularly just because uh, the ratings at this point aren't nearly as good as they were they are for like the first debate or when there's a something, especially you know, uh, attention grabbing that's supposed to be held up in the debate. The main expectation out of the debate was whether everybody was going to gang up on uh, Mayor Pete or not and uh that didn't even manifest so the the story didn't really come out and then biden's performance was whew. well you know what let's do this by like individual since there was very little interaction very little meaningful interaction between uh debaters i guess you can call them between candidates rather like let's just go by like person i suppose and then we and then when they overlap we can talk about that but I, I, that's a good way to structure it i think that's the way i have it structured in my notes my very vague notes because i will admit i didn't take many notes on like what they were actually saying because because i i wanted to get the experience of like well tomorrow what am i actually gonna remember from this and the answer is, is actually very little nothing but if any like nothing there was nothing memorable just before we get into the actual debate, I just wanted to mention something that I noticed while I was looking up information on the debate in general was uh, I came across, uh, I don't know if people noticed or were aware, but the debates were at uh, Tyler Perry's studios in Atlanta. And uh, about a month before, they 
decided that the debates were going to be there, he held uh, an opening party. And on the guest list were some of the people that you would imagine, Ludacris, T.I., Usher, Diddy, Jay-Z, Bow Wow, I think, photoshopped himself into a picture. <laughs> and uh, there were some others. But then uh, some of the less uh, obvious uh, people that were there were uh, Stacey Abrams, I guess, you know, local politician makes sense, uh, rep uh, representative Maxine Waters, uh, Gail King, Don Lemon, Tamron Hall, and then who, if for people that are familiar, Don Lemon or Tamron Hall uh, worked with MSNBC, MSNBC, and then also Bill and Hillary Clinton were there. And so just uh, as a I think that there's something to be said about both uh, previous episodes that we talked about with uh, billionaires, uh, black capitalism as represented in Tyler Perry and some of that guest list and the class structures among the people that are there. And then also the kind of uh, incestuous relationship between all of them when it comes to uh, deciding where they're going to do something like hold an MSNBC debate uh, at the same place where they happen to be at a party the month before. And well, that, I mean, go ahead. I would just say I think it's a little not. I I did not know that it was being held at Tyler Perry Studios. If I, I had, I would have. My main complaint would have been that they didn't make Medea one of the panel, the moderators. To be honest, because I think that Medea could have done a better job than a lot of what was coming out. But I, I don't know how mm -hmm. much of that is their fault because at a certain point they're not the ones who are in charge of picking the questions. I'd imagine they're just the ones who are in charge of like moderating the debate and like maintaining time, which they don't really do. Uh, so it's kind of irrelevant i i will say it was also an all-female panel right so that was one of the things that was being touted as a a, as a, a drawing point of this msnbc debate there was like there was four uh four four women were acting as moderators i felt as though the questions didn't really revolve around that particular uh particular conceit um and it's also worth knowing that it took place on the trans day of remembrance and there was not really one question that would you know reference that or the need to discuss trans women as part of a conversation about expanding civil rights expanding uh women's rights etc you know regardless those kind of those things were kind of just like backdrops even i would argue gimmicks not the trans day remembrance things that just didn't come up at all but like the all women panel uh some of like the tyler perry hall of fame induction ceremony uh venue uh, in reality, very there was very little going on at this debate, and so I would just start with my notes. I, starting with, I guess, the winner. I guess I really I would I would hesitate to call anyone a winner in this debate, but I would say I guess Bernie won. Like even he was kind of like <laughs> I hate to say it, he was kind of just like off doing his own thing for the entire debate in my opinion like just talking about you know it's like staying on topic maintaining his talking points continuing to hit medicare for all continuing the you know kind of lightly hammer biden lightly hammer some of his other opponents on the stage regarding not supporting medicare for all he made a good point about the need to recognize palestinian human rights and dignity but uh, apart from those things he kind of you know classic bernie he was right about most things that he was talking about everyone else was doing bullshit so i would say he won did he overperform no did like i was i inspired by his performance not really it was kind of just like this is what I come to expect from him i mean yeah so i think that's that i kind of believe is to be expected right if we consider if we assume that sanders is the front runner which depending on the metric you're using right he is 
Uh, most polling does not have him as the front runner, but a, ver- a variety of other metrics, uh, unique donors, total do- campaign contributions, right, average num- average value of campaign uh, contribution, all that other fun stuff you could use and realistically say, I think he's winning. So at a de- on a debate stage, the only thing that a front runner can do is lose ground. Like you're not going to gain ground as a front runner, as somebody really probably even in the top three. Uh, at this stage in the election and you know you're probably not going to gain any ground so i think that what what bernie did would be to expect would be what i expect of somebody in his position but for the most part this debate was just i mean and i watched a five ten minute video on the quote-unquote highlights and i don't remember any of it like it was oh i remember i remember vague bits i remember klobuchar and people like that but winning a debate especially in the year 2019 when the election isn't until november of 2020 and we don't actually start seeing any returns in primary states until february like it just it's kind of pointless it it it, this is only to drive it's to drive ratings it's to make p it's to sell commercial space commercial and you know all that ad time it's really not going to have much bearing on the election i think we know who this race is down to and i and so for those wondering in my opinion i think it's sanders warren Sanders and Warren, and I think by default you include Biden, but with Bloomberg jumping in, I think those two are going to eat each other alive, and I think it's going to end up being a two-person race between Sanders and Warren, and I think Sanders still wins out in the end. I will say, I don't think, Bloomberg has jumped in sort of, you know, both feet first, I guess, into this race for some reason. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to adequately pull people from Biden, although I do agree that Biden is not going to make it, but we're going to talk about Biden towards the end, because I think he has the most shit to talk about and some of only some of it relates to the fucking debate performance <laughs> itself uh mm. and not and like as opposed to the the topics orbiting him around the debate pre and post but richard what were you, what are your thoughts on i guess the winner of the debate uh bernard sanders yeah uh, i'd say we do have a polling from morning consult that came out that I guess supports that. I don't know how much is actually linked to the debate, but it is post-debate polling and it saw a bump for Bernie and Warren's slide continue. So uh, I think the the polling information that we have as questionable as its reliability may be does support that. And then from my limited experience or my limited viewing, I also pulled the same thing. I think uh, the one of his better moments was when they tried to, you know, introduce the discussion on Medicare for All as if it was essentially Warren's idea and then uh, eventually bring him in. And he's like, well, basically, thank you, you know, cons-, and he managed to get more uh, mileage out of the I wrote the damn bill line. And I thought that was uh, productive as far as being able to recycle the line, you know, uh, as far as his performance overall, uh, I think. Nobody really will ever say Bernie Sanders is bad at staying on message. Uh, I think his weakness is uh, adapting uh, to that point, you know, recognition of Palestinian human rights, uh, I guess, is, you know, some like type of reflection of that. Uh, Although, like, I, I have a hard time giving credit towards recognizing palestinians as human beings that deserve human rights like i feel like that that's pretty baseline thing not a radically progressive left uh type position but apparently that in the democratic party and field that is 
And so, like, I, I, don't, uh, I have some issues with the framing around that in general, not here specifically, but just uh, I've seen in some progressive circles and in media in general. Uh, as far as the... Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm obvious not to pull the veil back, but I'm obviously trying to mine for depth here because, like I said, despite watching the whole thing, I think although it's kind of, you know, mostly, mostly meaningless, I don't want to be like... Oh, I'm above talking about the debates because some people really like that watching them. They feel like they're being engaged when they watch them. I just also don't want to appear as though I'm granting them more. I don't know more. What's what I'm looking for? More uh, meaning than they actually have, right? Because I think that you're right. This is like the, the debates mostly act as a content farm for various people who need content. I was lamenting having to have an an episode <laughs> specifically about the debates because I knew I'd have to try to find some kind of depth there, some kind of like you know optic who won optically, who you know who managed to have the best clap back, who like you know et cetera et cetera at that level. I, I will say though. Some interesting things did happen, but you can finish your point, Richard, before I, I go into that. Oh, just, uh, I would just say, I guess, that I think Warren uh, has, like, it was more, I think, debates at this point uh, serve more, as Adair pointed out, to kind of, as an opportunity to fall rather than uh, make any significant gains, and I think that the rest of the field uh, kind of did a lot of that rather than... Uh, Bernie Sanders standing out uh, as particularly well-performing. But I think he does demonstrate that by sticking on message and even when it seems not to be on topic, uh, has an effectiveness within establishing what people know, believe, and think you're representing in the election, which is something that basically all the other candidates are struggling with because they change what they believe or stand for from between one week to the next. Yeah, I mean, I, I put win in air quotes because in reality, he just didn't lose, which I think Adair and you both make good points where it's like as long as he as long as he gets up there and doesn't like do something fucking weird, like, you, you know, it, it, which sounds like a pretty low, a pretty low bar. But then you like look at what else happened in the debate and it's like, oh, wow, it actually is pretty hard to not do fucking weird things. So like I said, let, let's let's go based on candidate. So we did Bernie. Bernie did fine. He just he didn't lose, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Tom Steyer, Tim Steyer, who is this guy? I, I, I mean, he, I, I think he's he's there to replace Jim Delancey or something. But yeah, I, I refuse to. Real quick. I know I, I refuse to Google this nigga. If you don't know, <laughs> we 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 moving past him. He he's basically there. He spent most of the time talking about climate change, which I guess is better than nothing. Uh, as far as I remember, though, at least he's one or two people pointed out. Hmm? He's another billionaire, so that's another dude we're gonna hit a lick on after the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, honestly, it's weird that there are only 607 billionaires in America, but like half of them seem to be running for Democratic (laughs) (laughs) Democratic nominee. The only thing that can stop a bad billionaire is a good billionaire. Exactly. You know, the only thing that can stop a bad billionaire is a good billionaire. That's that that makes total sense. It makes absolutely uh, total sense. Okay, so I, I don't want to look up. He spent most of the, the debate talking about climate change, which is good. Uh, apparently, his history doesn't bear that to be true, though, which is kind of what I expect for most people talking at the debate that they'll say something good and you're like, oh, let's look up how he, like, you know, let's look up what he did on climate change. Oh, like he's a coal magnet or some shit. Uh, either a coal magnet or I don't know, uh, oil tycoon, something like that. And like he's, you know, in his older age, now that he's a fucking billionaire, it's like, I, turns out that that wasn't the right thing to do. Okay, Amy Klobuchar. Okay, so 
I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. Is something wrong with Amy Klobuchar? I mean, I think so. Um, I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be honest. She looked like when, from all the all the uh, the little clips I saw of her, and there was a lot of them. I think they're really trying to push her as somebody who did well. One, she looked like she was about to cry the entire debate. She looked and sounded like she was about to cry. Like you. I'm sorry, you can't run for president if you can't do the public speaking thing and you sound like you're going to just break down. If somebody that's looks not what I meant. Sideways. I meant like, why was she vibrating the whole time? That was the other thing that, that's the other thing that I legitimately was like, what, like, I thought it was a camera trick because when we were, so, for those who don't know, we were talking in our uh, group chat and Chad mentioned that and I was like, I don't think this, I, I didn't think it was happening and then I watched and outside of her, you know, crying, she looked like she was shaking and then the only other thing that I noticed her do was bring up sexism ad nauseum for no reason. Like, it had no bearing on any of the conversations she was having. And then she pulled the, well, if it wasn't for sexism, we'd have already had a woman president. And I'm like, mm, that's bullshit. But, you know, you know, go off, right? Like, you want to try to index 2016 and that everybody who ran in 2016 must therefore be a sexist. And if they're running against women now, they're still, like, it's just, she's a well, fucking I mean, dumpster fire as a candidate. Let's be I mean, real. I will say this about Amy Klobuchar. Um, vibration aside, which I, you know, at a certain point, I was like, I think she's just dosing clenbuterol, you know, like the horse bronchodilator, the horse Evan <laughs> medication. I was like, because it's not like, you know, people just don't be shaking. Like, like people, people don't just like reverberate like that, like a tune fork. That's, just, that's not a thing that humans do. <laughs> no, like when, so like when people said that she was vibrating when I was, cause I didn't watch it live with everyone else live tuning in i watched the day after but everyone's like oh why is amy klobuchar like vibrating in my head i'm like oh she's like shaking like maybe she you know like she has some sort of neuromuscular thing going like she's like shaking you know no but she's literally vibrating she looks like she was trying to like you know, like try to vibrate her like, her molecules in order to resonate with a different parallel universe like the fucking flash like like so like, she was like she was trying to change universes to one where she was polling better and then but there isn't one so she just so she just fucking stayed there <laughs> <laughs> just stayed there she was shivering in the cold and i'm like okay uh like is someone going to mention this like oh, i go like is, like is there something going on from what i hear i think she just she's uh she's bad at public speaking she's shy about it which to me i'm like okay you know public speaking is difficult that's you know this that and the other but adair is correct we can't really have you up on stage you know versus a republican and you're just I, I don't know. Like, I, frankly, she gave me a it gave me a headache watching her because she just kept. <laughs> it's a little. I, I'll put this out there. You know, it's a little fucked up that Amy, that Amy Klobuchar was like vibrating at the exact frequency necessary to send off those waves that cause people to shit their pants. Like, I think that was her like overall debate strategy that she's gonna make Pete Buttigieg shit his pants by like vibrating at sixty seven hertz exactly. But it, regardless of that, like I. I don't recall her mentioning anything that was worthy of no other than the Pete Buttigieg thing, which I think is fairly true that you couldn't be a Pete Buttigieg type person, someone with basically zero experience in anything that we would consider to be like worthwhile president, you know, talking about the president of the United States here, um, and also be a woman or a person of color, right? Even Obama, who he gets compared to a lot, had, you know, the experience of being, uh, you know, in the Senate for a few years prior to running for president. Pete Buttigieg is the mayor of a small town, and he's getting by on, you know, a few heavily, heavily, heavily uh, 
uh, emphasize credentials, which I think someone mentioned, like the fact that they bring up that he's a Rhodes Scholar when three other people in that stage, and also I think Rachel Maddow is also a fucking Rhodes Scholar. I right, real quick they, they pause. Up, what the fuck is a Rhodes Scholar, and why should I give a goddamn? It's like, from what I understand to be true, it's like somebody who goes to like an Ivy League school in America and then they get a fucking scholarship to go to Cambridge or Oxford or some shit. Basically, like it's, a, it's okay. an exchange program for people. So like it's, it's one of those elite so it's things. So rich that, kids oh. doing rich kids shit. No, I think Cory Booker also went, but like mostly it's just like elites doing elite shit. And like it's a fancy way of saying like, oh, not only is he smart by American standards, he's he's smart by real world standards too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pretty much. But he's from the metric system. I, I was actually confused on the Klobuchar thing. I thought you guys no. were just like it was an extension of like a Marianne Williamson joke that I missed or something. And, and like I just actually watched that like a highlight of her shaking. That is really kind of disturbing. I get why that I was just, concerning for people. I checked the I checked WebMD when it was happening, and they said she had <laughs> phantom. She, they said she had phantom vibration syndrome. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think that's a real thing. I think that's just what happened when your cell phone is in your pocket. But like that was that was what Web, I was like I was like what I just like typed into like Web and the other like what happens if you be vibrating with no with no reason? It's just like phantom vibrations and they're like I, that sounds about right. I, I I definitely think that it's it's a little fucked up. Again, not only was she resonating at the brown noise, but she was resonating at a frequency meant to you know attract phantoms, considering Joe Biden's history with uh, ghosts and ghouls uh in regards to in regards to corn pop but again you know klobuchar plays dirty ball uh but i can appreciate that in the candidate for president of the united states of america but i think we can move on unless anyone else has more klobuchar fucking uh i thought frankly i uh when she swung the podium at cory booker i thought that was a bold strategy but, I mean, they're only. I mean, apart from phantom vibration syndrome, the only other uh, explanation for her vibrating was that she was so full of bloodlust that one of her fucking one of her staffers for taking an extra minute on their fifteen minute break that she just couldn't contain herself. <laughs> <laughs> the, like the audio grips and back, sneaking a snack off of the concessions table was just like pent up for the rest of the fucking uh, debate. The timer person must have missed a light or something. I will say just to echo, I think that her critique of Pete Buttigieg is actually pretty fair. I, insofar as like you know there are just higher standards for women and people of color when it comes to running for president and they're trying to push Budigeg on us which I guess we'll talk about a little bit later but I think that her you know her critique of him is not really saying that like she should be president but it is objective fact that he is shit and like and should not be on that stage either right I mean Budigeg is all like he is hot ass garbage like this dude has had a significantly bad several weeks when it comes to running for office. And I think it's just, I just think it's interesting, right? That now we're seeing the, we're seeing the next set of, you know, shifts between who are we going to put in the spotlight to try to make whatever candidate's going to be our neoliberal bastion, you know, for the next several, for the next several weeks, I thought it would have happened sooner. I thought, you know, Biden had so many gaffes, they would have moved off him sooner, but they are really trying to push, um, Buttigieg forward right now is horrible as he's been doing with black folks in particular. And there's no way you win a Democratic nomination, let alone the uh, nomination for the president of the United States without black folks. I just don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't know what he's still doing in the race. Will somebody, can somebody please tell Rayathon Jr. to just drop the fuck out? Nobody likes him. 
we're gonna get to the Budigag thing. I have I have these people in a list. They're not organized by alphabetical order, obviously, because we went from like Bernie to uh, to Steyer to Klobuchar. But I, I think that people like Budigag are waiting in the race for Biden to drop out and to see who like who picks up a substantial amount of his of his support. I but I agree with you. Where like I think that for the past week and a half, we saw a lot. And this is my the danger of looking at polls too online. We saw a lot of polls that were coming out that had Budigeg in first place in this state and first place in that state. And my whole, my whole thought was like this is bullshit. This, you know, we see this every other week with a new person in first place or in second place. But like even today over the course of the past like week since those polls came out, he's now polling in the first I think they pulled the the polls for the first 5 or 4 you know, primary states, he's like, he's in fifth place. He's in 8%, maybe lower overall. Like a little, I think in some polls he's lower than fucking Yang. So like really, I think that they're workshopping ideas for like stories, a story about the ascendancy of various candidates, but like none of them are sticking. From my perspective, they really should have like, if they were serious about getting uh, Bernie to not win, if that was like really their, their entire goal, they would have just gotten behind Warren and just stayed behind her and kept, you know, kept pushing her as the rightful candidate, but we'll get to that again. So next person on my list, Yang. I don't really have much to say about Yang. He seems nice. Again, like Yang didn't have very much to say about Yang. Apparently, Yang went off a lot about like Chinese AI, which I mean, I agree that it's important to bring up the the dangers of Skynet, especially since I just watched all Terminator, all five Terminator movies in a row before watching this debate. But like, I find it difficult. Well, not I find it difficult. Yang finds it difficult to express himself in any format other than what appears to be a TED talk. And so every time he speaks, it sounds like he's either beginning or ending a TED talk. And I find that to be incredibly distracting. Bullshit metrics, though, I think he's probably the candidate I would have the most fun hanging out with because then he wouldn't have to pretend like he knows anything about politics. He could just we could just have a good time. Yeah, I mean, for me, Yang seemed to be there. Like the moment that stood out for me from Yang was just him licking Tom uh, Steyer's boot, like sucking up to the billionaire on stage, and like, oh, you know, he's so good trying to spread his wealth around to do it the right things with it, and it's just like that's yet another reason why Yang should have <laughs> never been anybody that considers themselves progressive on on their radar. But uh, I imagine it'll just continue. But Yang in general. I mean, to me, the thing that stri- the striking thing to me about Yang is that nobody wants him. Like nobody in the media establishment or the party establishment wants him to be polling well. But he's beating so many of the people that they wish were. You know, it's like he's the uh, morning consult has him at like four percent, and I agree with you that the polling is pretty much garbage. Just to put in pers- pers- uh, for some perspective. Uh, Ben Carson had just lost the lead in the Republican national polling for the primary uh, in, at this time in 2016, and you and Rubio and Cruz were rising, and we know how that nomination ended up. So I don't put too much stock in those, but uh, Yang is polling at four percent, whereas uh, basically the other ten candidates or whatever are polling right around two percent or lower, and either tied or losing to someone else just a generic someone else (laughs) so like despite yang being like as you mentioned like the ted talk thing and and being a bootlicker and uh his policy i think being very superficial and vapid and all of that he's still seeing more success especially among younger voters than any of the 
rest of the establishment crew that they thought might be able to pull at least a decent polling percentage, which to me is the, the little bit of optimism I get out of that is that uh, the next generation of Democrats aren't as susceptible to just putting a newer, younger, uh, more ambiguously ethnic face on the same shitty neoliberal policy and accepting it there's a resistance to that even if it may lead them to other shitty policy well i will say i think that yang is doing well because a he has a lot of charisma i can't deny that he has a thick neck but a, a lot of charisma um and so like he is interesting and engaging and fun to listen to uh, he, at the same time, he is younger. He has a lot of the kind. He has he, he's able to talk to people, and I think a way that they understand. And just going to his policy, yeah, the a thousand dollars to everyone policy is kind of bullshit. The, the the freedom dividend or whatever the fuck he calls it, it's mm-hmm. bullshit. But it's like it's easily legible to people in their day to day lives what they would do with an extra thousand dollars, right? So it's only difficult to understand Yang's appeal. Not that you are having trouble understanding it, but I think some people are like, what's Yang's appeal? It's like it's only difficult understanding the appeal if, if you fetishize the wrong things. A lot of people like a thousand dollars is a meaningful amount of money, right? I think that on the left, when we talk about UBI, we have to be difficult. We have to be diligent and not, you know, just letting a UBI sit out there as our one sort of tentpole uh, policy for fixing all that's wrong with equality because there are a lot of problems with it, including as many have pointed out, like the, you know, rent increases and other, the increases of other uh, necessary goods would probably go up just because they, even though it's illegal for that to occur and he doesn't really have a way to work around that but when it comes to like the legitimacy of it in people's minds like they're just thinking like okay well an extra thousand dollars here's what i hear the, the problems that i could i could solve with extra thousand dollars a month and to me that gives me hope for the fact that oh yeah a lot of people are winnable i think yang's base of people mm-hmm. are perhaps the most amenable to like actual social policy and actual ideas because like they're working from a very like us i think they're working from an anti-establishment standpoint um and they're not it's gonna sound mean they're not too sophisticated in their understanding of society but they are looking for you know more material solutions to their problems and not just a series of technocratic complicated ones they're not, they're not interested in hearing a, like a list of you know means tested plans and other like they, they like a freedom dividend <laughs> i'm sorry it's funny uh it, it's stupid right you know there it creates all these problems but at its core it's like here's a universal program here's something that's going to directly help you solve your problems in a way that my that you know that you can map out yourself uh, for me, like I think a UBI is fine. I just don't think that it should be the sole way we tackle inequality because any anything between you and securing ne- necessary resources that's not essentially like I need a housing, I get housing, is too many. Including like getting a thousand dollars to pay towards your rent. That's too many. That's too many steps for me personally. But I wouldn't throw it out, right? So like I I see hope in the Yang base, and I see that Yang has. I think, you know, again, mining for depth in that, like, there is a measure of like, okay, UBI, universal program, people are tra- are starting to think materially about like how the government can literally help them accomplish their goals and tasks and take care of their problems. The The solution itself, not the biggest fan of his understanding of power and the role of billionaires in politics, money in politics, not a big fan of that so much. Obviously, he's not pro-Medicare for all because at this point, the only one who's really up there full-throatedly giving like, hey, Medicare for all, Medicare for all now is Bernie. Everyone else is kind of like wish becoming more wishy-washy on it. 
but I see a little bit of you know that's like the the bright side of Andrew Yang, from my opinion. So I don't particularly have a bright side about Yang, just generally speaking. I understand why a lot of people are interested, <clears throat> right, in his UBI. A thousand dollars of a thousand dollars a month is a lot of money to a lot of people, right? But like like everybody's put it out so far, it's not helpful to people who aren't in a situation where you know, for example, they own their own home. You know, for everyone else, you're just going to see rent increases, and that tends to be the thing. So while, like, and I agree, right? In general, I'm a fan of a UBI, right? But I also am one of those people, like Chad was saying, who thinks it cannot be your sole solution. So yes, do I think the amount of wealth that's earned in this country should be split up evenly to each and every individual here? Yes, I I absolutely think that that's how things should work. Everybody should get an equal slice of that pie. But also, if you need housing, you should be given housing. If, you know, like there, it, there's the things that you need to survive and to live a comfortable, healthy human life, you should you should just receive on the on the merits of being human. And that's my opinion. Right. So that's where I'm coming from on that. Uh, just speaking on Yang more, though, he's entirely a forgettable candidate. He's not he doesn't have any unique solutions. He's not uniquely qualified to do anything. He had some good he had some good messaging on um education, talking about the fact that mm, teachers yeah. need to be need to be paid more, recognizing that the the likelihood how a student performs is tied also into what's going at home. Is there a lot of stress, things like that? And these are things that people have known for years. However, his thousand dollars a month is not going to change that. It's just not. It is, however, a red herring for you know those out there. It's 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 kind of like, hey, look, and I'm gonna sh I'm gonna wave this shiny thing in front of you, and then I'm gonna go around your back and I'm gonna take everything else away from you. And that's really what his UBI is, and that's why he that's part of why he represents a problem. There's just not much there, honestly. Yeah. There's not much depth. There's not much to look through. There's not much that's inspiring. He's the you know technocratic candidate who should have dropped out of the race a long time ago as well. He's a libertarian at best. And, you know, I think he seems, yeah, I mean, I think he seems pretty affable, but I agree. Like, I think the UBI and the way he has it conceptualized and like, and which is really just one simple program, uh, it, it, it's the illusion of structural change. It's the illusion of systemic change. In reality, I think we, I mentioned that when we talked about reparations a little bit, there's, there, uh, there are many ways to enact theoretically progressive ideas in vacuums that only lend themselves to being, uh, weaponized against society as a whole i think the big concern about yang's ubi is that it would be used by many people as a way like hey you know what going to raise the rent and also we're going to fucking essentially erode other social programs that guarantee you services and uh services and goods and because you now have this ubi whether that would happen or not i think that's i think that's like the major concern and it's worth investigating like what his what his solution around those things would be other than to say well that's just illegal and republicans wouldn't do that it's like mm, they would they've been doing that for a very long time actually uh but yeah it, it's the illusion of structural change just like tom steyer was trying to push i remember something about tom steyer who's trying to push fucking term limits as like the solution to corruption in washington it's like no that's not gonna work either that's, again that's the illusion of structural change if anything that makes it worse like if you want to get you know if you want to help combat uh corruption in washington like you would, you should put a literal ban on politicians working for companies or lobbyists or various special interest groups to lobby for change in government for at least a decade after they serve. 
like that would be a real sort of meaningful, at least a more meaningful structural change than like a term limit, which we just call like revolving door issues. But next on the docket, Harris, uh, Kamala Harris. I don't know. Honestly, like the the thing that strikes me at the risk of implicating myself, I will say this, you know, I'm trying to say positive things about everybody, I guess. Well, starting now, like she was very well dressed to the point where I was like, I think like, her outfit looked very nice that night. And that, that sounds vaguely patronizing. I'm not trying <laughs> just, to be. I'm just I was going to say, OK, Aretha. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a, but like I think everyone knows, like, hey, you know what? She looks really that outfit looked really good that night. I, I really liked it. I like the color. I wish I had that exact same outfit. Besides from that, though. Another forgettable performance, the main, I would say the main, the main sort of points of, of like positivity there were the times in which she came after Biden again, half-heartedly, uh, you know, twice a, when he forgot when he tried to fucking pull her black car and say the only black uh, woman Senator oh, endorsed man. him. And she was like, no, um, I, 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 I'm here right now. <laughs> like, I'm here right now, uh, and yeah. I'm not endorsing you. That like that was that was good, but she failed to pivot on that. I think both Booker and Kamala, as you know, as the black candidates on stage, failed to co- like confront Pete Buttigieg over his many failures, both in terms of like the black community in his own city, but also during with the whole um with the endorsement debacle that occurred literally the the day before two days before that weekend rather um you know and, and just generally his like sort of failure to really interact positively with the black I mean, they, they touched on it a few times but really i think that it was room to hammer Budagag harder about those things and people most people kind of fail to really engage with like hey you know what you have this new plan that says you're going to give 25 percent of contracts or uh, you know to people of color who do blah 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 but you promise similar things in your you know the city of south Bend, indiana and right now we're seeing what what three percent of black of these contracts right so like how how do we bridge that gap like what like what are you identifying as your the gap for why this is occurring in your own hometown and how it won't be an issue at the national level and please don't say all black people are homophobic well they just don't have you know people in their lives giving them you know talking about the value of education and it was like i guess that also came out recently is uh him giving that type of response to the the situations in inner cities and so on and so forth that basically you know it's black people don't have uh, positive role models and so that's that's why they're uh suffering from these consequences so i imagine it would be in that vein although probably tailored and tuned for uh 2020 election i mean you're giving him too much credit he he absolutely said that but pete the you know pete is a he's rayathon jr he's you know he's a little republican war hawk who has that that's his exact kind of rhetoric you know he first is like well black people just hate the gays which patently false right black gay folks exist black queer folks exist black trans folks exist we all exist you can go fuck yourself that's one two also like he just has he doesn't know anything about blackness the black community or poverty for that matter right it's not that people don't know anybody it's not that we don't have positive role models it's not that we don't know folks who you know like we don't know it's not like we don't know folks who are like no you need to go to school here's return on it like you need to do this right is that there's systemic issues stopping poor folks and black folks and other folks of color from accessing education in any meaningful way in this country 
But, you know, Pete likes to he likes to present himself as the clean cut all American rich kid. And so, you know, I'm not surprised. I also think he should have dropped out, you know, a while ago. He's just embarrassing himself at this point, And his city is doing incredibly poorly right now. Well, sticking to Harris, I, I do want to stick to Harris. We will get to Pete Buttigieg. Uh, She's also think, trash. Think, like, well, yeah, but I, I keep trying <laughs> to figure out. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I keep trying to figure out like whether or not. But I, I will say, I think at this point about Harris, her campaign has kind of pulled back into like essentially, you know, survival mode where they're pulling pe- more and more people to Iowa, more and more people to like the beginning primary states foregoing all the other states because they realize that if she does not do well in Iowa and New Hampshire and even South Carolina, which she's not even looking to do well there specifically, and that was kind of her, be her big pull. Like, hey, you know, we have a black uh, woman candidate. She's going to pull well with black people. Uh, but in reality, Sanders and Biden have been, you know, competing over the majority of the black vote since the beginning with older black people going towards Biden because of his Obama clout and, and younger black people going towards Bernie Sanders a, a lot because of the Obama as well and being disillusioned by his shitty, shitty behavior. Uh, like she's kind of she's kind of left without a real without a real constituency. And so like, she moved everyone to Iowa and she's still doing terribly there. So it looks like, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire might be her, you know, might be kind of like the, you know, the end of her campaign, which is funny when you think about it, because I, I would have put a lot of money if I was forced to bet or I was a betting man on Kamala Harris being one of the better performing candidates. But I really, really, hmm? really after I, even after her record came out, like her record is I think that her record is what shut her down. There was some enthusiasm about her at first, but her record, her rhetoric, I mean, she very quickly became a fucking dumpster fire. I I do, and I think at least partially it was because I'm I've I was mind poisoned by liberalism and the liberal media apparatus into looking at her as like a series of component parts. Like, oh, she's like she's black and she's woman, and she's a senator, and she's kind of young, and she's, you know, has a level of charisma that I would put her, you know, like, like Aunt Viv on Family Matters, like, she has that kind of, she has that kind of energy, she's Aunt Viv energy on Family Matters, like, like if this were, if this were 1990, mm. if this were 1999, I could see her having a cameo on a UPN show, like, she, like, <laughs> not a recurring role, but, like, she could be, like, Moesha's mother's sister or some shit, like you know, like you know, like 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 Ray J's mom or something, like you know, it's like something, something something crazy like that, right? But now and again, like I, it's hard to talk about Kamala Harris's candidacy while talking about Hillary Clinton because in many ways she inherited a lot of that staff. Warren took some of that staff too, but I think she got rid of some of them because of sexual for sexual harassment claims, at least one person. But like most of Kamala Harris's his staff are old Clinton people, right? Adams and Sam's and all those people who people were, were touting as brilliant political geniuses who were only undermined by Russia and a multi-billion dollar, multi-decade campaign of disinformation. But like, I think when you look at the Kamala Harris campaign, you get to see them in action distilled to their, you know, their core, which is like they're inept, right? You know, I don't think there's any reason for Kamala to be doing as poorly as she is because I think she came out pretty strong, right? She came out pretty strong. She had some good statements that you're like, oh, I think this is good. But every time she had a, like a decent statement, she was she either reneged on it the literal day after or started equivocating or some, like you said, her record came out on the same issue and she was unable to 
present a compelling reason for why that why either she's evolved on certain things or why it you know the record wasn't that bad instead it was just a lot of i i stand behind my consistency i mean <laughs> right. what is, uh, who's her consistency ahead. i'm sorry like just that that's one of the, that, that's one of the big questions right but even if she had tried to come out actively was like hey here's how i evolved it would have been impossible like, there's no way she could have done that right like she was still calling herself california's top cop like she built herself on being a cop which is not going to play well overall with black folks in the community it's really not going to play well with younger black folks which is one of the largest voting blocks and then let's also be real she's you know they're like talking about well you gotta you gotta win in the in the iowa and new hampshire which are incredibly white states and a lot of their primary voters are going to be older boomer white folks who have an idea of a very particular kind of black person in the kind of obama vein and so i think that's where she tried to position herself but the reality is is the electorate like the the electorate is changing people's the 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 values that people have and the values that people are looking for in their in their president and their leaders and in their senators is changing and the fact of the matter is she's just a hot garbage ass candidate like as we we've moved a very long way since 2008 and 2012 even further since 2016 you've seen a real polarizing among those who would call themselves democrats and among those who would vote in the democratic primaries and so sure she hits a couple of the eye poll boxes right she's a she's a woman of color that's a big deal the part of her part of the reason why i didn't think she would latch on as a black woman is she seems to have cultural barriers within the black community right like we've talked about this on the show before that she wasn't she feels inauthentic right and it's okay to be to be mixed and be black and not really necessarily fit into the quote-unquote general culture of black folks but you cannot come in inauthentic like you will get torn to shreds for being fake about it and so that's kind of then that's what's happened that's what we're seeing consistently with her so that was a big knock against her to begin with um and then when we look at her when we look at her with i see a lot of the same issues with her candidacy as i saw with clinton's right she has a horrible history on trans rights especially on rights with trans women who happen to be women and that's going to cause a major 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 drop in polling sure i think a lot and i think her problem also to wrap up has been similar to what we've seen with a lot of these folks they're courting the boomer vote a lot of these folks are expecting only you know people they're expecting the boomers to come out and vote in the primaries but they're not actually courting the entirety of the electorate and that's causing more harm than it is good I think that point about the boomer aspect is uh, really important just because I think Kamala Harris' role, one, like her falling out of the race early is devastating because I think her primary purpose was to win California. And if she doesn't even make it to California, that is a catastrophic failure of her campaign and could risk her losing her Senate seat even because she was already not very popular in California as it was. And so the like the worse she performs overall, the, the, the more devastating it could be for her political career uh overall as well uh on the just as how poorly she's performing uh i think it's important to note she's as basically like i think that there's a lot of parallels that we can see between the 2016 republican race and this democratic race and the equivalent candidate i would give to kamala harris based on performance thus far would be uh bush who was uh had already fallen to about third fourth fifth place depending on the polls and uh right around the fear arena and uh, like I guess he's, uh, was it Rubio was also or 
Huckabee was also right around 4% at this point in the 2016 or 2015, 2016 race for Republicans. So it's like, that's the kind of status she's at as far as her performance thus far. And I think it's also critically important, the the point that Chad raised about her moving her campaign to Iowa and that flopping as well. And so I think her failing to rally young black voters uh, to her or and also failing to... Uh, pull any boomers away from Biden resulted in essentially her early positive polling numbers mostly being manifested out of uh, loyal Clintonites and that group, which has been largely also behind the shifts that we see in the polling, moving from Harris to Warren to Budgig and so on throughout the races we've seen it. And so uh, one of the other critical things I want to just raise about the performance in polling is that uh, 15% is going to be the threshold in order to actually pull any delegates away from any of the contests. So candidates that have consistently fallen below 15%, which is uh, nationally or in states, which is essentially every candidate except for Biden, Sanders, and Warden, really have no chance at the nomination already. Uh, really, statistically, the chances of them having any shot at winning the nomination is almost nil. And that includes uh, uh, Mayor Pete as well. And so, like, Besides all of the other aspects that we pointed out that his campaign has been overinflated or the viability of his campaign has been overinflated, uh, that he's polling so poorly nationally and outside of Iowa also reflects that he would be un unlikely to be able to perform that. But uh, to finish Silent Harris is just, I think her record and is particularly younger black people on Twitter getting confronted with it devastated her campaign in a way that uh i don't think a lot of the establishment democrats were prepared for well no i i agree i mean i think that adair made the best point no i'm not, not i'm grading you guys this isn't this isn't that kind of party but where again, the electorate has changed right and i guess that's not something i really took into kind of effect but we i mean the, the same conversation we had there was a similar conversation that I had on Twitter as well, where like, you know, people are pointing to how well Bill Clinton did with Bill Clinton's politics in 1996, 1992 and all other shit. And it's like, OK, but this is 2018. Right. It's like, you know, I think that our media, political media has a very poor understanding of history not like history as a series of, of events that occurred in the past like you know what happened in 1997 what happened in 1996 who like who won the election in what way in 1996 and like how can we learn from that today uh by basically just transposing it onto the present with no kind of with no kind of analysis of like how things have changed you know like it's you know i mean i mean like they have a poor understanding of history like history as a series of dis of a series of events that have been were contextualized in particular based on like the context they existed within and that also and those events also serve as context for future events right so i mean people who were tricked by obama or who feel tricked by obama are not going to let themselves be tricked the same way again and understanding what that means for a kamala campaign or for a Buttigieg campaign is you know or even like any campaign that seeks to kind of break the glass ceiling as their primary mode of arguing why they should be able to do it is going to run up against like the history of Obama, right? They're going to run up against the history of people who like who would be most amenable to that message or being part of that coalition. Understanding that that coalition can be a little bit shallow and a little bit more concerned with the symbolic, you know, the symbolic elements of inclusion without necessarily bringing an inclusivity of thought or inclusivity of 
desire to up the change the status quo in a way that you know essentially trickle down social justice right that like you know having a black person at the top doesn't necessarily mean it's going to uplift black people at the bottom or uplift women at the bottom or uplift women of color at the bottom i will say kamala had one interesting and i thought good line because she was asked she and klobuchar were asked about their maternal leave policies i think also yang too right but you know she made the point that you know a lot of women are having you know children older you know and partially what that means is that they have to focus on like not only finding child care finding taking time off to focus on like or try and take time off to focus on like recovering from having a child and you know get acclimated to a new person in the family all those good things but that they that many of them are also going to be in charge of essentially taking care of their elderly parents right and i think that there were so many of these moments in the debate too where you have someone make a point like that and you're like okay well let's take that to the next logical conclusion which is that you know people like elderly people should be taken care of fully by the government you know they not to be something that the government does and something the government provides in one way or another you know health care you know actual actual livable expenses food uh housing should all be taken and even people like sanders who have like elderly companionship (laughs) plans like that should be part of a larger you know a larger conversation about what services the government should be providing for people as they get into senescence and you know getting into elderly age and retire hopefully not like a not say a burden but not a burden or responsibility of their children solely right but i think that that was a good point that she made and so I, i try to have a compliment sandwich here dress nice good point about older you know an older child having population transphobic cop piece of shit <clears throat> oh yeah she's definitely a cop speaking, <laughs> speak, speaking of cop you know i will say this about kamala harris kamala harris, i've never seen anyone get that mad at a debate as kamala harris was at fucking tulsi gabbard because <laughs> she she looked like she was trying to arrest tulsi gabbard's mom i was like <laughs> she she looked like she looked at tulsi gabbard like she was the single mother of an a child with two absences two unexplained absences like she was like i'm gonna give you the fucking death penalty right here i mean i thought gabbard did fine you know again i guess we're, we're twitching to gabbard i think she did fine uh i think that of all the people at the debate she was the only one who seemed interested in confronting people with their past records specifically buddha gag in uh, kamala harris which has been a consistent thing about her p- debate performances but continue you know yeah i mean i think that's like the best thing you can say about her debate performances like she's been unafraid to come out there and actually show a level of conflict that i think democratic party finds to be anathema to their brand because i think that was the big that was one of the big reasons why this debate kind of sucked because there was this underlying sort of theme of like party unity and how are we going to unify the country post this you know divisive divisive democratic primary and post the divisiveness of trump and it's like well maybe the democratic party doesn't need to be unified this way you know i mean it sounds silly now we're dealing with climate collapse in a runaway white nationalist republican party but like the unification of the democratic party the unification of our two-party system just generally speaking might not be the best thing in the long run it might be a necessary evil in the, the, the short term but like at least overemphasizing unity as like a core proposition of you why you should be president i think is foolishness because a you don't want to unify the token party because they're a bunch of they're a bunch of lunatics and b even unifying within the democratic party seems to ignore that there is a a sharp divide a sharp schism an ideological schism between like the party establishment and the party base that is just not sustainable for much longer 
just one of the things that stuck out to me is like what party unity that was focused on defeating Trump would look like, I think is, was really well captured in a edit done by, I can't remember the name of the person at the moment, but essentially smashed together a bunch of clips of all the democratic candidates or most of them talking about Medicare for all and why Bernie's basically the person to back. And it was a, I don't know, you might want to call it deceptive edit in that like they cut together phrases that weren't technically linked or whatever, but that's what, to me, a unified Democratic Party that was focused on beating Trump would sound like, and it wouldn't necessarily reflect my ideal politics, but it would at least be representing a, uh, a strategy that had a viable chance or that like was a, was a responsible approach to defeating Donald Trump and that it took a real issue that's a uh, you know, dinner table issue for uh, every, like, people all across the country getting access or getting health, the actual health care they need to both for preventative and treatment-wise and making that something that wouldn't bankrupt them is something that, uh, to the earlier point, is like a material uh, reality, a material benefit, material reality that they face that is easy to kind of put together in their minds. And instead, what we have is a Democratic Party that is constantly undermining it by using Republican talking points like, you're going to take health care or health insurance away from 140 million people. And you're going to, you know, basically, essentially rehashes of the ACA talking points from Republicans. And like, so when they talk about unity and all those types of things. Uh, I agree with what Chad said about, you know, to be skeptical about that. They did recently have a unanimous vote uh, in support of the Hong Kong protest. So when Marco Rubio starts talking to you about the champ being a champion of human rights and democracy, you should probably think about what <laughs> what's going on there a little bit more carefully. But essentially, unanimity among our Democrat and Republic parties, is particularly when it's together, is almost always a terrifying sign not one to be uh, celebrated the only unity the democratic and republican parties have in this country is that with regards to neocolonialism and imperialism that's what they really agree on they don't even agree on how to properly exploit people in their minds but they absolutely agree on the fact that people need to be subjugated and exploited so i'm not looking for unity with republicans and democrats and putting aside my personal politics for a minute right if i was to look at if i was to you know be someone to advise a campaign the way you would the way you beat Trump is you offer structural changes. The 2016 was a referendum on status quo versus a lot of people saying, I want something that's going to change my life because things are not good. And we have talked about that ad nauseum, right? We talked about that ad nauseum in the during the 2016 cycle. We we've talked about that in the years since because that's what we are continuing to see. And that's the one thing that Democrats don't seem to wrap their minds around is that people do not want more of the Obama years. The Obama years were bad for a vast majority of people. It was good for them, right? Because they end up making, you know, a lot of them are, a lot of them are, are a lot of them are fairly wealthy and so they make some money off of that and it's great. But for the most part, people suffered under the Obama years. It was not a good time. And so if you really want to beat Trump, if you really want to win back the White House, you have to propose structural change. Medicare for all, uh, you know, Green New Deal, all these things provide structural change and tell American people directly how you're going to impact their lives and, and for the better. And so that's how you win. Um, but the reality is, I don't think, Dem and we've said this before, as is Richard, as have I, Democrats don't necessarily want to win. Want to win. They they want to be the party of the adults. They want to say, well, 
We're worse. Look at us. We're the adults in the room and all this other bullshit, but consistently get beat. And actually, most of them, them, most of them are frankly fascist. And if you plot them on the political spectrum graph, you know, the usual Cartesian plane, you see that all of them fall into that fascist square quite neatly with, you know, Republicans falling higher and for, you know, higher up on the scale of fascism and further to the right than a lot of Democrats. But Democrats are fascist as well. Like, that's just where they fall. It is what it is. This is a fascist nation with a lot of fascist leaders, and we have to come to terms with that, which is part of why people aren't actually going to be out here offering structural changes. And that's why Bernie's milk toast campaign ideas and his milk toast structural reforms, which pretty much every other country that's practiced imperialism, we call them developed countries, currently has, is seen as incredibly radical here because we're that far along this fascist imperialist, um, la the, you know, 1920s-esque capitalist society. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it is weird how often people treat like Bernie's ideas, which have been uh, implemented in countless other countries at this point, at least in some form or another, as completely impossible. And I wonder how much of that is rooted in like American exceptionalism as being both a negative and a positive, where like people feel as though things that happen abroad cannot be cannot be taken as examples for America, either because it's offensive to America or because America is just so extra special that things like that just they just can't work over here. I mean we've mentioned in the past how like you know, I think that there is there are issues with using like the Nordic model as a model of change versus as like a model of a series of programs that can exist because we just have a different historical and contextual uh, culture, basically different culture and a different environment, different demographics that make that that make that achieving those things much more difficult and requiring different techniques and other different things, but like the programs themselves might be a good model, right? The same, I would say the same thing occurs when, you know, Bernie says things like Medicare for all, like, or like single payer. It's like, well, how is America going to do it? It's like, well, there are literally a hundred other countries who have done it. So maybe we can pick one of those a hundred other countries and like ask them, see how they did it, right? You know, and not fall into the traps that many of them, them have fallen into of like doing it and then trying to like turn back around and be a little bit more austere about it. Uh, I mean, as far as Tulsi, go ahead. No, no, I just just wanted to say I absolutely agree with that, you know. And it is it is one of those cases where a lot of people in America feel that they have to do things the American way, and you see the stubbornness. We still use the imperial system. We have like Americans refuse to switch to metric because it would require them to do things in a slightly different way. Though I challenge any you know any five of our listeners to tell us exactly what the difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon is and how many fucking teaspoons it takes to get to a tablespoon, I have no fucking idea. And that's what the you know, math. Uh, I've, I just you may have more insight on this than I do, so I'm just kind of curious. Well, have this moment is one of the excuses I've heard for why uh, like the perpetuation of the imperial system is that a lot of machinery is uh, made and measured. And like it's old machinery that's, you know, 50 year life cycles or whatever that's in imperial systems is like, do you know if new scientific equipment manufactured in the United States is using imperial or metric? They do. People that make that argument do realize that in, that metric is the standard for science for science, right? Like all science, everything I yeah. did in every science course I took in college, everything, every science thing I've done at work has been in metric we don't use imperial and also for those that are like well things were made in imperial so it has to stay in imperial you can you really there's conversions right like it's not hard 
I mean, Imperial fucking sucks ass though. Like Imperial is like, the Imperial worst is the worst. Book. Like most, like even the way we do Imperial is, is mostly just like based on like bullshit. Like fucking, <laughs> I, I want to say, I'm gonna say hillbilly science, <laughs> but, like, but like really, it's like, but it's it's, it's it's like Fred Flintstone shit. It's just like it is. Well, I put I put I put my foot up against this fucking. <laughs> I put my foot up against this uh this television, and the television is is 15 my feet wide. So that. <laughs> Like that's what like that's what it is like right it's like it's not like uh like a tablespoon like how much is a tablespoon it's it's one of these it's like yeah it makes it makes it, no it, sense it's, it's, it's 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 silly bullshit like even if it were like a big like an actual I don't necessarily did there is probably a reason because America's infrastructure is so fucking old mm-hmm. and we refuse to, to redo it the to figure out like the, a lot of it probably isn't foot feet there's probably old it's ass It's really easy and, to change though like that's what people like that's what people like dimensional analysis is one of the first things they teach you in like physics chemistry any physical science class is dimensional analysis cuz you have to do those conversions anyway like you I, have to I, from uh, like I, I I'll look this up to verify for sure, but from what I've uh, heard, that there's been several like catastrophic uh, incidences resulting from a f- like a failure of conversions and or like either not oh, yeah. doing it, doing it oh, wrong. Yeah. Or... <laughs> that, that that definitely happens. But you have to you have to make the switch. Ninety percent of all gender reveal explosions <laughs> occur because someone forgets that they're using the imperial system and not the metric system. This this is science, my friend. But no, any last thoughts on Gabbard? I mean, again, Gabbard is kind of like if all Gabbard does in the race is like essentially throw her, like be the person who breaks hard facts about people and makes like the electorate aware of these things. I'm like I'm fine with that. She's the same thing with Budagag and wiped that stupid ass smile off his face when she was like, <laughs> "Didn't you just didn't you just say like yesterday that you were going to send like troops to Mexico, Mexico, yeah, to Mexico to fight drug cartels? You're going to expand this, done. yeah." Which, like, which we've already done, which, and which he's in favor of. You're going to ex- essentially expand this deleterious fucking like genocidal drug war that has destabilized entire regions and empowered cartels. And like he couldn't even fucking answer that question, which I think, again, speaks to just how staged a lot of these debates are, where you can mm-hmm. have someone like Tulsi Gabbard just get up there and say, like, oh, here's this thing you said yesterday. Yeah. Like, here's the thing yeah. you literally said yesterday to try to impress uh, a certain subpopulation of people that I'm not, that theoretically anyone on the stage can bring up. But in reality, most people won't bring these things up because, like, it's supposed to be taken as sacrosanct that you, you can be allowed to pander to certain populations and not be confronted. Like, hey, didn't, isn't it a little weird that you you were talking to the Ku Klux Klan yesterday <laughs> and saying that we should, <laughs> saying that, you know, like, you don't understand why blacks are getting so uppity uh, because well, I mean, now you're in front of the rest of America. But I, I will just say one other thing about that, though. Like, you know, uh, Richard brings point that like it's not the Democratic Party's main goal to win, and you are there mentioned that a lot of people are rich and empowered. But I would bring back up the the Kamala Harris campaign people. It's like they fucking bombed in 2016. They I, I've been very harsh to Hillary Clinton over the past. Uh, I'm sorry, I've been very harsh to Madam President, uh, sister Hillary Clinton. Uh, over the past three years, it's like what kind of dumbass loses to Trump, right? But in reality, I have to contend that at least part of that, and this is not to absolve her of any blame, is due to how bad her campaign staff is and the inability of the Democratic Party establishment to essentially just, I don't want to say purge, but really just like 
purge people who are bad at their job because their primary job is not to win. Their primary job is to be sycophants. Mm -hmm. And so you have people in the Hercule campaign who like they fucking suck at their job. They're terrible. Uh, You can't convince me that I couldn't have done a better job. And I mean, you have people who haven't worked on campaigns fully or full time who are doing a bad job on the fucking the Bernie Sanders campaign. And for and, and it's, it's funny because I have to hear about how shitty David Sirota is and how shitty Bree is and how like all they have is enemies on Twitter. Like, I mean, though we all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it's undeniable that they have run a better campaign as relative novices, outsiders who only got there because of Twitter being Twitter supporters. Then people who the Democratic Party, you know, in their aligned media apparatus would, would consider to be experts. I think that the what the Lily Adams is her fucking name, the like the, the comms person who's in charge of tweeting out look at the future president and president of America, you know, every four years for whoever she's working with. It, like, they, they had her on a Pod Save America before the campaign run talk about how she's a, a fucking huge brain genius and Kamala's lucky to have her. I have to politely disagree with that. <laughs> I think that I would be a better comms person for Kamala Harris because I could teach Kamala Harris how to fucking lie. <laughs> like how like how to fucking lie like an adult and not be completely completely shocked by people you know confronting her with the things that she did last week but they know but the, their inability to purge people like that from like hey you know what you know everyone needs a job you know i understand that you know your livelihood revolves around running political campaigns but you're kind of shit at it Right. So maybe we have to put you in the back of this of the bus a la Hillary Clinton's campaign ad for Rolla Parks. Uh and like really and like in sort of bring in some new talent with some new fresh ideas. Right. I mean again, like putting aside like my preferred candidate, uh, you know, people who I, I want to win versus just like acknowledging the faults of these like campaigns. It's like a lot of campaigns seem to be run by fucking children and or like complete morons. Like I, I don't understand how how you you can continue to fuck up campaign after campaign after campaign after campaign and still be allowed to be like running them nepotism. right but nepotism sick, sick being a completely unctuous piece of shit <laughs> because like so, but kamala <laughs> deserves better maybe you just maybe disagree with me but like i mean i don't know what they're but i think kamala like she she didn't get a fair shot and like people are trying to turn this into referendums about like misogyny and you know racism and even sort of like nativism when it comes to the black community because she is you know mixed with indian etc but like those things are all true but i think that those analyses do too much to absolve just the structural and bureaucratic and administrative failures of her campaign because that would be an indictment of like the class that's supposed to be able to you know essentially get rich off of these like this like this is the jobs program for them yeah well i mean so part of the reason why they can't lie too is there there appears to be some kind of unspoken agreement that if you are um that if you are working a campaign like this that you don't quote unquote punch you know left on the debate stage that there's an expected level of what they they're like this weird idea of civility amongst campaigns and I'm like that's not what campaigning is about like this should not be a handshake agreement to not say anything mean to each other cuz your candidate might cry like a campaign is meant to to point out hey what's going on how is this happening like what is your record your record is Richard? meant to be examined here but there's this idea that you can't judge anybody that's running unless they're in the other party by their record 
Otherwise, you're just being unfair in the primary and you're just trying to set it up against them. I, I kind of think that everyone's time should be in proportional to how much how <laughs> they're polling nationally. Like, I shouldn't have to hear from Tom Steyer for 10% of the debate when he's polling at 1%. That seems like bullshit to me. Cory Booker. I can't believe he's still here. Right. To be honest. Uh, Cory Booker basically... Di- I have one note for Cory Booker and it says, bring hedge funds to the ghetto. And like that can be that's basically his campaign in a nutshell, right? Yeah, I mean that's basically what I've gotten from it. He did score that one line uh, against Biden in the debate, which I mean it sounded good and it like got a good reaction from the crowd. But it, when you actually think about what he's saying, it wasn't really that great. But it was comparatively to the rest of the debate, it, it was a, definitely a point scoring moment, and it highlighted the anachronism of Biden's campaign. Yeah, I mean, he asked Biden if he was getting high when he said that, like, marijuana is a gateway drug. And it's like, yeah, because Biden is fucking stupid. It's like, 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 Biden is very much in the vein of, like, the 1920. These Negro jazz cigarettes are making white women susceptible to hip hop. It's like, you know, like, that's like that. Like, that's his campaign. Uh, But, you know, Biden is up last. But Booker, uh, we moved on to Booker, uh, Adair. Uh, But again, Booker, I don't think. I don't even know why Booker is running at this point. You know, like he's had, like he is the other Rhodes Scholar on the stage. No one really brings up because he has other bona fides. But, like what? You know, ex- exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, he's one of the Rhodes Scholars, right? What I understand is like, you know, he's tried to speak to like the black experience, but it, it, it fails to ring true. He does it better than anybody else on the stage. I think we, I can give him that. Like, as far as speaking to the black experience, like, outside of the class aspect. Does he, though? That, like, I mean... I haven't heard anything that's relatable by him. Like, he's he doesn't speak to the black community. He doesn't actually speak to any black experience. Like, we give we give Biden a I think shit he talks for to T-Bone regularly. Can, I, can we, I was going to say, can we get, like, are we forgetting T-Bone? Are we forgetting the fact that this man was, like, a mayor in New Jersey and didn't do shit for black people? Like, nobody actually likes... Corey he ran Booker. in a house and saved a cat or something, didn't he? This is gonna sound mean and vaguely superficial, but like he has crazy eyes. Like <laughs> he's like like I don't know what it, like he looks like he got that anime eye surgery that the that the ladies get overseas to make them their eyes look bigger because you know makes them more attractive and doughish looking. But like they fucked it up. Like he like he's like he's very like he does he tries to do like that like um southern preacher like cadence and like energy, but it makes him look incredibly manic. Because like, he's just like yelling and his eyes are wide and I'm like, yo, I don't want to traffic in tropes, but you're making me feel a little bit uncomfortable, my man. You know, like you just, like, like, you know, I don't want to, like you, like you're, you're giving me Debo from next Friday. Look, he don't even I, I don't look like that. he doesn't look like Debo. He looked like Smokey. Like, <laughs> like if you, if we're gonna, if we're gonna bring up Friday comparisons, Cory Booker looked dead ass like Smokey. Like he looks like he's on drugs on stage and as a podcast of people who allegedly have done a significant amount of drugs i think we're pretty qualified to to talk about that i think honestly a lot of them are on drugs on that stage like i mean i know if i were going to get a debate stage i would i would pop an adderall or two i would do a (laughs) do a double dose just like to fucking pay attention and stay awake i I, I mean honestly like i I took one to watch the debate like i'm not gonna be a patient to shit if if i don't if i don't like if i don't like you know take my medication i regret that decision because nothing happened (laughs) (laughs) and so like and so like i was incredibly focused on nothing and I, so, but like, and I, but I will say that that just led to Amy Klobuchar freaking me to fuck out constantly because it felt like she, 
It felt like she was trying to use a shadow clone technique. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking doing Saitama's like serious consecutive side jumps. And just like really just anyway. But no, I mean, when it comes to uh, Booker, his, his other things that keep, and, th- and this was another instance, like both Booker and Kamala Harris, I think they, they, I would say a lot of them actually, they, and I guess this is why they're, you know, like they're liberals and we're leftists, like they brush up against like good ideas or like identifying the problems correctly but then they just go off on a weird fucking like tangents right so Cory Booker mentioned gentrification and even prior to that he mentioned like you know all the VC money which there you know VC money in itself is kind of like a, a, a bad thing right but like the all the VC money is concentrated in three urban centers and you know and then a few a few like a few points later he talks about gentrification and how like people of color being forced out of their you know are being forced out of their their living spaces and in my head I'm like just like okay just combine those two things in your analysis like like and, I, like, and he sort of did like where he but it was mostly like we need to get vc money into the projects and i'm like okay no we don't but like if you can just come if you can just combine these things in your mind right okay you have the concentration of wealth in a few urban centers uh, as dictated by VC money and cultural cloud and social and social capital and like and what and what these cities index and like their you know their ability to be hubbed for entertainment etc. Uh, you also have an influx of people from communities that have been disinvested in by you know essentially VC money by capital. Um, that's leading to a you know essentially gentrification or a conflict over a finite number of resources in well, not really finite number of resources we know a lot of these places have plenty of open housing units they just are they're just priced out most people are just priced out of them doesn't matter it's like can you just combine these two things into a coherent analysis about like needing to spread out this money around america so that we don't have a concentration of capital in like a few like no just bring the vc money to the ghetto I was like okay fuck i was like i don't yeah, I mean, I think uh, Booker is definitely the messenger of the Tyler Perry, Jay-Z, uh, black capitalism, you know, that type of thing, but with the the Democratic spin around it, which I think uh, Adair mentioned earlier about how the Democratic Republican parties disagree on how to exploit people. My kind of perception or understanding of that is that Democrats think that, you know, if or basically that Republicans think that the threat of death, starvation, homelessness is the way to motivate people. And Democrats think that some baseline of, uh, you know, uh, you know, food, water, shelter is more productive, but it's still well beneath anything that would qualify under like the con- conceptual framework of socialism. Well, I guess and, from my, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just, I, uh, go oh, ahead, there. sorry. So just when we, like when we look at people like Booker, right. And this idea of venture capitalism money, I mean, I just want to say, Living in one of the metro areas of those three cities where venture capitalist money is at, it doesn't do shit for poor people. And I think, you know, Booker, like many of the other people on stage, like to bring up this idea, like they lean into the idea that if only you do enough work, you too will eventually be a venture capitalist or a millionaire or whatever. Like, and one of my sisters is going to be mad at me because I'm going to bring this up on the show. But her, her, she dead ass asked me, she said, how much money do I need to make a month to put $5,000 in the bank? every month and i just looked at her like she was fucking crazy and then i told her as much right because but it's a pervasive idea that you can like if you just work hard enough if you just get a good enough job you too can save five grand a month you know and eventually be a millionaire in like 16 months or some shit like that well yeah cory cory booker is that like that itt tech commercial candy like john (laughs) 
But like, like, were you like, were you like, you listen to him and he's just like, he's the black dude you see on uh in between the more on the commercials in between Maury. That's who he yeah, is. Yeah, like he's like, I mean, yeah, he's like, if like if you, like if you just get your degree from ITT Tech in uh, business administration, you too can have a have a career where you make up to sixty five thousand dollars a year. It's like by leveraging new technological advancements in the age of information, like information in the digital age is the capital of the future. It's like what the fuck are you talking about, my man? Cory Booker is one of those candidates that makes me wonder, like, okay, are you, is this really ideology or are they just like stupid? Like, like, are they really that blinded by ideological affiliation and or like the leanings that they happen to, like, and they don't understand like that these problems they're discussing are like, kind of connected or like they have simpler solutions, right? You know, there's a simpler solution than like getting VC money to invest in underprivileged communities. Which, I mean, we've tried before. I mean, that was kind of one of Obama's situations. That's why we mm. had, like, Bill Gates trying to invest in education. Bill right? Gates like, ain't idea, invested like, in shit. I mean, he invested in getting on my fucking nerves. <laughs> yeah, the, just while we're touching that, the billionaire philanthropy is such bullshit in, like, yep. uh, recently, like, the Amazon one is a lot, most, if not all of it, is usually either given out in their stock or it's uh, under their control or it's a loan or it's, like... Almost always, they're actually making money off of their donations or their philanthropy. It's actually Absolutely. profitable for them. Like, not even, like, just, like, it's a tax the write-off write aspect. Like, not even just the write-off, but it's, like, they're actually, like, literally profiting off of, like, loaning these these things money. And then the, their yep. gift is, uh, you know, letting some of it get written off, essentially, which then, again, goes back to their taxes as getting written down as a loss. Yep. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I think that's a good point, though, because partially, I guess my issue with some of these debates is that you would expect, and this also loops in the conversation about like the need for structural change, is that you would expect that the Democratic Party, regardless of where they lean, or rather, you would think rather, you would expect that the acceptable breadth of the left party in America, because like for better or worse, they are the left party comparatively, right? In America, comparatively. Two party uh, system, first past the poll, go ahead. Yeah. You would think that they would do their best to make, as part of like their tempo strategy for arguing what makes them superior over the far right, which, you know, because we know what they think makes them superior, that they're like, hey, it's the the public sector the public sector is what makes us superior like the fact that we have a substantial amount of programs and ideas for expanding what guarantees you have as a society like you would think that they would be advocates for the need to expand in the current successes of the public sector now granted the public sector our infrastructure our agencies all kind of fucking suck at this point like you know they're like they're functional Right, a, a lot, and I guess this is my point too. Like, Might be a stretch, they're large, but, yeah. but they're nowhere near where they should be in terms of efficiency and lack of administrative overhead and any of these other things that could be solved by having more universal programs and more investment and less trying to judge them on the metrics of the private sector or do weird private-public partnership Frankenstein's. Uh, but when you compare them to when you compare with the work that the public sector does it mostly goes under noticed or unchecked because people only really notice our infrastructure when it's fucking breaking down or when someone's trying to problematize on a debate stage when republican party is going like should we re should you really rather when the republican party or the democratic party is saying things like should you we ask taxpayers to pay for taking down the the wall should we ask taxpayers to pay for the medical care of immigrants should we ask taxpayers to do x y and z it's like well first we don't ask them shit if we were going to ask them shit you know maybe we should ask them these questions but like we don't see any like 
besides Bernie and sometimes Warren, we don't see any advocates on that stage for like, hey, the government does good things. You know, it's not just war. It's not just fucking like jailing babies. It's like the fact that you can drink water without having to worry about getting severe dysentery, assuming you don't live in one of our many, many counties that have Alabama. shitty piping. You know, I mean, really, just <laughs> no, we have a lot of counties in this country that have really terrible yes. water. I mean, you know, you can, I live in one. You can drive. Yeah, no. There's lead in my pipes I mean, here. Like, you drink bottled water worry, let, or filtered. Lead poisoning only affects you if you have an underdeveloped brain. So as long as you're over 25, you're fine. <laughs> Otherwise, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of screwed. But like that leads to problems down the road where it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the pro, you know, charities and corporations and billionaires, it's like they have whole PR teams to argue why they should keep their money so they can do good works and charity with them. The, the, the government doesn't have really have that kind of expansive PR team that's whose sole purpose is to tell you the good things the government does to keep you from dying every day, right? Instead, you just kind of come to expect those things as backdrop. And then when they don't work, you go, oh, the government fucking sucks, which it again, it does, but not necessarily for that reason. Or B, wouldn't this be better if a private company ran it because it wouldn't be broken? It's like, no, the government should be more, the government should be more responsive to its citizenry, definitely. But years and years of neo, decades really, of neoliberal indoctrination have left people with a very, very skewed perspective on like the value and what the government does for them. So you have people out there who feel very comfortable like, oh, the government doesn't really do anything for me. It's like, that doesn't make any, you know, you know, forget the billionaires who like use our roads and our, you know, our post office and other shit. But it's just like, that's demonstrably false because you literally could not drink your water or like breathe the air in certain places without the government having regulations and sort of shit. But we're going to move. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just think those are good points. And especially like how the the inertia or the, you know, the, the social capital plays a role in that it can overcome. Like, I think that's what gives Buttigieg any viability whatsoever is that aspect of it rather than the and and this kind of the the superficial identity aspect of it is falling flat for a lot of folks. And so I think that that is a valuable observation. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the context of Obama. I'm talking about the, the past of Obama, the past of Clinton, both Clintons, really, that people are kind of, people are contextualizing that and how they're choosing to vote this time. Like, I think there's a very small portion of the population who can accurately say that, who can adequately and accurately say that things have been getting better for them for the past 30 years. And so when you see pundits on fucking Twitter go, you know, talking bad about Obama is not a good way to engender yourself to the populace. I think that's true. But I think that you can separate Obama in people's heads from Obama's terrible policies and also the the like the legacy of neoliberalism that he was kind of just perpetuating. Right. So like talking shit, particularly about Obama specifically, which is what I do and what we do and the way that we do it are is important. But I don't necessarily but like it's probably not the best idea electorally speaking, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to sort of like just pay lip service to his to to his policies or to the things that he actually supported. I think you can just reference the you can just kind of like symbolically reference like the Obama that existed in people's heads. Like, oh, this progressive change fucking uh, bringer. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, like, a lot of people, there's, you know, speculation about how much of Obama's support was because he was black. I think Cory Booker and Kamala Harris show that uh, the support of that was specifically just because he was black and not because of either buying into his message or a variety of other things shows that w- even if it was a big component of it, his campaign then, it definitely isn't going to be a comp- big component of Democratic Party voting going into this election. But... Let, we're running out of time. Let's talk about this motherfucker, Joe Biden. Oh my fucking God. Like the debate itself fucking sucked, but let's talk about this nigga, Joe Biden. Oh my fucking God. Had me feeling oh. like Duke from Rocky Four, just like, throw in the damn towel. <laughs> I am so, let me. I,